of the podcast Abort Now, I um, wanted to share my abortion story with you. When I was 17 years old, I learned that I was pregnant by um, the first guy that I had ever been with. I had not been sexually active long, um, but found that I was pregnant. And um, my mother learned of my pregnancy early on. Um, I don't know if she just is full of wisdom and, and aware of who who I was at that time or or what, but um, we learned of my pregnancy. She learned of my pregnancy when I was only two weeks pregnant. Um, and I moved forward and had that child. Um, my daughter, British, um, is 24 years old. So that was 24 years ago. Not long thereafter, uh, when when British was one and a half years old, I learned that I was a, a, again pregnant, and um, at this point, I um, was really involved in the church that I attended at that time. I was in a leadership position. Um, I was twenty years old. I was eighteen when I had British. Um, and so I was 20, or, or very near to 20. And my child's father um, was also um, a member and active in church. And we were creeping around and, and we found ourselves pregnant. We remained quiet about it and kind of was, I don't know, stressed from that whole situation um, but ultimately we shared our story with a friend and our friend um, said to us you know well what are you guys gonna do Ebony you already have one child who's not even two yet like what are you gonna do with two kids you guys don't need to have this baby you should have an abortion I remember thinking have an abortion like I don't want to have an abortion Internally, these were my thoughts. Um, and my child's father was, you know, the same way. He was thinking, you know, abortion, we don't necessarily want to do that. We don't need to do that. We don't have the means and the money to do that. Um, and so we, you know, pondered that idea for a long time. We didn't have the money for an abortion. And so ultimately, our friend gave us the money for the abortion. Um, I learned that I was five months into the pregnancy. I could feel the baby move, and I could feel fluttering of the baby. And I can't really remember if it was was kicks or or if it was that strong, but I know I could feel the baby moving. And you know, at this point, we're thinking, you know, we really 
aren't in a position for another baby, it's going to be embarrassing to go before those in church and, and, you know, like tell that we had been creeping around and having sex and it was against the principles um, of our faith. Um, and so we ultimately decided to go ahead and have the abortion. We identified a clinic. My memory fails me as to what caused us to go to this particular clinic in Grand Rapids. Um, but we nonetheless did go. I remember on the way there in the car, we were both pretty quiet. We didn't have much to say. I guess we were all both, we were both in the recesses of our own minds trying to process through what we knew we were getting ready to do. Um, it fails me if I went to the clinic the day before or sometime before the date of the abortion and they had given me something, uh, given the fact that I was so far along, I, I just, I simply don't remember. But nonetheless, when we did pull up in front of the clinic, I remember it being a fall day. I remember us getting out of the car and there being people there with picket signs and trying to convince us that there was another way and that we didn't need to do this. And I remember uh, my child's father kind of pushing them back with his forearm and telling them to not talk to me. Um, and inside the clinic we went. Uh, what my memory reminds me of the most as we entered the clinic is it was dark. It was very dimly lit. Um, it felt cold to me. Um, kind of like the sunken place, I guess. Um, and I went up to the window and I gave my name. Don't remember if we paid that day or if we had paid before, but we paid. And I remember it being a significant amount of money. This was in the early 90s. And so it was, I don't know, maybe $600, $600 because I was so far along. I sat down and my child's father sat with me. And we waited, and we waited, and we waited for them to call my name. And finally they called my name. He couldn't go back with me for the procedure, and uh, I went alone. The procedure was supposed to be relatively short. I think they told me two minutes, three minutes for the suction procedure. And I laid on the table, and there was a nurse there who was very nice. She held my hand. She um, had one hand on my shoulder. And the doctor um, did an ultrasound. I didn't see the screen. I don't believe that I wanted to see the screen. I don't even remember. I don't think that he even asked me if I wanted to see the screen. Um, but nonetheless, he began the procedure. I can remember the loud suctioning sound of the machine and being in this, this cold white room with just a table that I was on. Um, the machine that the doctor was using, the computer and monitor that he looked at when he did the ultrasound, and the nurse um, was in the room. And this procedure that was only to take two or three minutes took quite a long time, more time than it should have, in fact. But that could have been because I was so far along in my pregnancy. And so when he finished, I remember cramping bad, hurting bad, feeling a lot of pain um, and crying, just tears just rolling down my face because of what I was doing. And when the doctor finished, he got up from his chair 
and removed my legs from the stirrup and told me that he was finished. And he stood up and in his hands was what I recollect as a mason jar, but mason type jar, but larger than your typical mason jar. jar. And inside the jar was my baby. I saw my baby's knees and elbows and fingers and toes and my baby's head. And I remember saying to the doctor, can my baby live? Like, can you put my baby on life support and my baby lives? And as a doctor near the door, he turned and he looked at me and he said, you made your decision. And then the door closed. In addition to what I had just done and what I was feeling, it was like he just put an arrow through my heart and finished off what was left of it. And so the nurse told me that I could get dressed and they were going to take me to the recovery room. I do remember going to the recovery room. I remember there being other women in there. I remember it feeling cold and dark just as it felt when I'd walked through the door. Everybody was quiet in the room. Um... I don't know that we had cell phones at that time. I can't remember. Maybe I did. I don't know. But we didn't have them in the room. And so everybody was pretty quiet and stoic. And women were crying and trying to pull themselves together. And I remember thinking before I went in to have the procedure, I'm going to take care of this. And then afterwards, everything is going to be okay. And everything wasn't okay afterwards. In fact, for a very long time um, thereafter, I was not okay. I struggled with what I now understand was depression. I began to drink a lot. Um, my child's father and I were no more. Um, we parted ways and went our separate ways. And I became very promiscuous. Um, I was angry. I was hurt. And so I tried to I tried to bury all of my feelings in alcohol and, and sex and partying and doing anything that I could to numb myself to the fact that I had just aborted my five-month-old child. And that in the morning on my way to the clinic, I could feel my baby moving in me. And on my way leaving uh, the clinic, on my way to return home, I felt nothing. I felt empty. A void that I had no idea how it could ever be filled. I didn't know that my baby would be intact and it would be a baby, even though I'd already had a baby. I don't know if I had psyched myself out or because of the brochures and things that I had read, I thought that it would just be different. I thought that it would be tissue. I thought that it by no means would be a fully intact baby. Oh, but I was so wrong. And so I lived with the torment and the anguish and the regret of my decision. I told no one besides my older sister, who I'm very close to and I shared almost all of my secrets with, as she did share hers with me also. And together we tried to move past it. Um, and so for about 15, 16 years, I remained in silence. Um, I told my mother 
15 years later, 15 or so years later. She said that I should have told her at the time that we could have gotten through it. And again, the dagger entered my heart all over again as I remembered, you know, making a decision that I thought would shame so many people that I had the support of my mom and I could have done something differently. But here I was 15 years later and still burdened by the decision that I had made that day. I then um, began to talk about my abortion and I felt a little bit better. And by now we've, tra we've, we've transitioned into social media at this point. And I began to share my abortion story uh, on Facebook. Um, and I felt this pull to encourage women who have experienced abortion to begin to share their stories and to talk about the decisions that we've made. Although it's taboo, I thought that there would be power in my sharing what I had been through as I fought to overcome all the anguish and pain and regret that I'd felt. And each time I shared my story, I felt that I got a little bit stronger. I'm very active in my, my church, Revolution Christian Ministries. I had spoken um, with my pastor's wife, my first lady, uh, Pastor Erica, about my abortion um, prior to my getting married to my lovely husband that I'm married to now. And um, I shared with him my story and began to get even stronger. Although I won't say that I had experienced total healing at all, but I was on the cusp of it. And at some point, by way of volunteering, um, talking to my, my pastor and sharing with him that God had told me to abort now and I didn't know what it meant, but I had a heart for single mothers and post-abortive women he told me that he was meeting with someone the next day after our meeting and he didn't know what it was about, but he'd find out and get back to me. And he introduced me to um, the founder of Cradles of Grace. Her name is Carol Lubes. Carol um, works to help women choose life, choose Christ, and choose community through Cradles of Grace. And so together she and I, I began to become her understudy, if you will, to learn all about Cradles of Grace and try to figure out how I could infuse myself into this ministry and help uh, single moms. And so her, uh, a portion of that, we, we looked to bring that to our church and have a center at our church for single moms. And after multiple years of training and sitting in at centers and learning all about Cradles, um, we were looking to start a center at our church. A part of that um, preparation included um, having any woman who wanted to volunteer in that ministry that may have experienced abortion to go through healing. I was introduced to Her Choice to Heal, which is a curriculum written by Sidna Massey um, and is an abortion recovery course. And so I went through that class and we had a, a course at, at my, a group of women at my church who went through it. And my heart for post-abortive women grew even more. And through that course, I maintained and found total healing in Christ. I've asked for forgiveness and I know that God has forgiven me 
of my decision to abort the child that he had given me. And in the midst of that um, process, Cradles of Grace joined our, you know, joined um, forces with Pregnancy Resource Center. And so now Cradles of Grace is at Pregnancy Resource Center and I, st and I have become um, a center director for one of the centers here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And in the midst of doing that, uh, myself along with one other facilitator, uh, we co-facilitate a course, Her Choice to Heal, the curriculum that I went through and offer it to women who want to experience healing from the abortion experience. And so that's my story. And that's what lands me here at this podcast. Um, I have a heart to influence someone who may be considering abortion. A woman who finds herself in a crisis pregnancy and is uncertain of what to do. It is my hope that through these stories, these abortion stories, from the womb to the heart, that we can impact a woman who is experiencing a crisis pregnancy and help her choose life. And to know that you are not alone if you are post-abortive. There are other women just like you who have gone through the abortion decision and have experienced all the pains and anguishes of that, but that there are many women who have healed and found themselves in the aftermath of an abortion. And so it is my hope that through these stories from women who so valiantly share their stories and become vulnerable to you, the audience that listens to these podcasts, it is my hope that these stories influence you in a positive way and encourage you to choose life. This is Abort Now, abortion stories from the womb to the heart. And I am your host, Ebony Farley. There's a past that is forgiven. There's a story that we all should give that helps us make our way to freedom and make us live again. Come on to the good life of freedom. Come on to the good life of hope. Come on. Oh